We're in a series, like I was saying a little bit earlier, uh, when the lights fade and the music plays. And we've been going uh, this December through some of the songs and prophecies in the book of Luke that surround the birth of Jesus. Uh, the series really comes from a common experience that many of us have had. The series title, When the Lights Fade and the Music Plays, comes from this moment. And most of us have experienced this when you've gone to see your favorite band. And for me, my favorite, my absolute favorite band is uh, Coldplay. Anybody? Anybody? All right, thank you very much. And I got to see them at the HP arena, which was awesome. It's no longer the HP arena. It's like sappy something arena. I don't know what it is. Um, but I, I got to go see them there. And, and I totally remember this experience. I totally remember this. This was uh, amazing. So I'm there. I'm there with Jenny. And I'm kind of like, you know, like a, a, a little schoolgirl, really excited to see them, you know. Uh, so I'm just like, woo um, as I'm there. And I couldn't wait for the opening acts. I can't tell you who opened up for them. I couldn't wait for them to get off the stage. You ever been there? You know, you're just like, we didn't come to see you. We didn't pay the money to see you, so just stop singing, you know. <laughs> that's not very nice, but that's how I felt. But then there's like this interlude, right? And there's the kind of background music playing and the stage text and the roadies are getting everything set. And then that moment happens. Remember that moment, right? I mean, the moment when the, the background music stops and the lights go dark and this is like this backlit and all of a sudden you see the silhouette of the band walking on the stage and everyone goes whoa and I'm going whoa and my wife's looking at me what the heck is wrong with you and and then you hear the opening resound of the music and the notes play in the hall in the room and then at that moment what was hoped for, what you had longed for, what you had been anticipating had finally arrived. That moment, that moment is simply a microcosm of what the Advent season is designed to be. That moment is, is really just something that gives us a picture of what the four weeks of Advent or this Christmas season for us is designed to be. See, Christmas is designed to refresh our hearts around the greatest event that ever took place on the planet Earth. Emmanuel, think about this, Emmanuel. This is what we celebrate, Emmanuel, literally God with us, the visiting of God on this planet. See, get this, I mean, this is crazy, right? Christmas celebrates that Jesus, the God-man, stepped onto the stage of time, space, and history and sung the greatest song that you or I have ever heard, a song of God's unrelenting love for you. A song declaring that God is not against you. God is not aloof or distant. A song that declares that God is for you and with you. See that? Christmas. Christmas. Christmas is the season where we remember 
that even though oftentimes in our humanity we have given up on God, God has not given up on us. And it's in that backdrop that we're going to look at one of the greatest songs ever composed in the Scripture. One of the greatest songs that has been recorded that is known simply as the Magnificat. It's the first word in the, uh, as it's translated in the Latin, my soul magnifies. It's written, and it's this beautifully poetic song, and it's got this deep theology. It's rich. I mean, it's, it's, it's connected to the Psalms and what God's doing in history and, and you, what you need to know about ancient Palestine and first century uh, Palestine in the day, there was an anticipation, but a little bit different than waiting for the greatest band that you've ever seen. There is an anticipation in that day for Messiah to take the stage. There was a longing, and Messiah simply means anointed one. There was a longing, there was an anticipation, there was a hoping for Messiah to arrive. That when Messiah, God's anointed, he would take the stage, and when he took the stage, he would right every wrong, he would bring freedom to the oppressed, he would bring justice, he would restore humanity to the way we were designed to be, and for the people of Israel, they would no longer be under the tyranny of oppression. There is this anticipation. In fact, the prophets in the ancient Hebrew uh, scriptures wrote about it. And so the people in that day are longing, they're waiting, they're looking, they're waiting for when the, the lights go dark and the music plays when Messiah, God's anointed, would take the stage. And God's anointed, this is the backdrop for this song, God's anointed there's prophecies about him being born of a virgin. There's things that said that he would be come from the great king in the line of David. That it wouldn't just be a man, but it would actually be God. In fact, one of the prophets, a prophet named Isaiah, said this. And I just re- heard it retold as I've been watching a bunch of Christmas uh, movies with my kids. And anybody watch the Charlie Brown Christmas carols? You, you ever see those? Yeah? Just me. Okay, cool. I watch them by myself. My kids actually don't watch them. <laughs> and he wrote, For us, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing, upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And people are waiting and longing, and there's an anticipation, and there's a buildup, and they're looking, when will God's Messiah, when will the anointed one come and restore things the way they were meant to be and the magnificent? This beautifully crafted, amazing song was written in the context of that news, of that waiting, of that hoping, of that longing finally arriving. Let me just read it, and I, it's not going to be up on the screen just yet, but let me just read the words to it. That the, that the Messiah has come, and this is the personal response of the author. Just sit back and relax. We're in, 
Just close your eyes if you want. Let me just read this to you. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. And the author moves from a very personal expression to then looking back on what the Messiah will do in his reign. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has filled up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent away the rich empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his sins forever and ever, even as the fathers said. You know what strikes me, though, about this song, about this moment, about this anticipation? Isn't that it is this amazing, beautifully crafted song with rich theology that's deeply poetic, that even secular scholars would look and say, this is incredible work of art. You know what strikes me about it? Is if you were to look at it, it was written by the most unlikely person in the most unlikely of place. In fact, it's way more accurate to say it was written by the wrong person in the absolutely wrong place. Let, let me, if you, and this is in your notes and you can go there, you can flip. Let me just read the context in which this is written. Would you notice the who this was written about and where this was being written Think about it. Anticipation. Messiah, God's anointing. The greatest thing that has ever happened to this planet. And think about where you would want this to happen. Who should be the person this should happen to? And then let's just read the text. Luke 1, verse 26 says this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord's with you. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Did, did you notice? Did you notice where this takes place? I mean, it says Nazareth. I, I don't think you maybe know about, you know, the major cities in the ancient days. So let me just tell you, Nazareth wasn't on the major list. You'd think, okay, God visiting the planet, Emmanuel, God with us, his anointed one. You would think two places. Either he would show up in Rome, which was the capital of the world in that day, the center for power in the world, or more likely, he would show up to Jerusalem. 
where the temple of God was, where all the religious elite lived, where all the right people were, where the city that had such great historical significance, not Nazareth. Not, not this, you know what Nazareth is? Nazareth is this podunk, nowhereville town in the middle of a terrible place. I mean, just think about it. If God was to visit um, California, let's just say he's going to come, he's going to show up, he's going to do the most amazing thing that's ever happened on this planet, the most significant moment ever to be recorded in human history, and he's going to show up somewhere in California. Where would he show up? You go, okay, I don't know. Maybe Silicon Valley. We're in a pretty cool, you know, this is a happening place. What we do goes all around the world. It makes sense that he show up here. Maybe San Francisco, because it's just kind of hip and vibey and cool, okay? Maybe L.A you know, and that. But let me just, just help me out here. Where would you least expect God to do the most significant work? Where, just help me out. Shout it out. Bakersfield. Bakersfield. What else? Fresno. Oakland. Humboldt. All right, that's enough. That's enough. See, I had to have you guys say it so I didn't say it in case I offend anyone from there. Thank you very much. And it's like God showing up and doing the most significant thing ever recorded in human history in Bakersfield or Lodi or... See, it's the wrong place, isn't it? See, Nazareth is 90 miles north of Jerusalem. Nazareth is nowhereville. Nazareth is this little podunk town, probably more cows than people, agricultural city that has a few people. It's a one-stoplight town. It doesn't even have a Dairy Queen, Nazareth, right? We don't even, okay, anyways. Growing up, Dairy Queen was a big deal in Texas, whatever. Okay. And Nazareth was in the region of Galilee. Did you notice that? In the region of Galilee. You know what Galilee is known for? Galilee is this place, as the further you got away from Jerusalem, the further you got away from being religiously right, and the more you just kind of did life, these were, Galilee is known for all the wrong people, for kind of loose living, not really doing what was right. They were hard workers, but they weren't necessarily spiritual people. And God says, I'm going to show up and do the greatest act ever recorded in human history, and I'm going to do it in this nowhere place in the absolutely wrong place. And then did you notice who? Mary. I mean, you would think if God was going to show up, he would show up, you know, to someone either with influence or affluence, right? I mean, if, if we were going to plan it, if you or I were going to plan this whole thing, or at least if I was going to plan it, I want you to put it, you're probably more spiritual than I, you would, I would go, okay, someone of great influence, maybe like a major religious leader, maybe a real political leader, someone who, you know, had great influence with people, and, and if that wasn't there, then I'd take someone with affluence, maybe a prince or a king and kind of have this royal line and you kind of show up in like gusto and it's like I am God you know like that's how you would show up and he doesn't come in the form of a king to a priest but to a poor peasant girl betrothed to a carpenter the wrong person. 
in every way, shape, and form. Teenage girl from the wrong part of town. As a girl in that day, had few to no rights, and once married, were considered in much ways property. Think about this. See, Christianity elevates all of humanity. And God shows up and does the greatest act this planet has ever seen or experienced in the absolute wrong place through the absolute wrong person. It's as if God is using a megaphone and saying from the outside, I've come for all the quote-unquote wrong people. You know, I think, I think underneath for many of us, I know for myself, I tend to buy into a lie. I tend to buy into this lie about God that he really only loves the right people. That he really only loves the, quote, special people. He really only loves the super spiritual people. And if you're not the right people, if you're not the special person, if you don't have your act together, well, then you're flat out of luck. And if I'm honest, if I'm honest, I feel more more like I'm the wrong person more often than I feel like the right person. And I find myself in the wrong places more often than I do in the right places. Isn't it interesting how many of us can spend our lives working desperately, trying to be the right person, hoping one day God will someday love us, and then we kind of buy into the reality that we'll never become the right person. And we just kind of eke out our existence thinking God could never truly love me. I know we sing songs about it, but he could never really love me. You don't know who I am. He could never really want me. You don't know where I've been. He could never use me. You don't know my story. And what I love is over and over through the pages of Scripture, God says, I have come for the people who don't have it all figured out. I've come for all the wrong people. I've come for all the people that just say, I'm broken. And we would expect with the Christmas story, with this moment, it comes to no surprise that he would use this moment to be an exclamation mark. saying, I've come for you. Right where you're at. I've come for you. I I don't care what you did last night. I do. I deeply care about that, but I care more about you. I, I love you. 
I love you, God says to you, even when you don't like you. He declares, you're worthy when you feel worthless. If you would, would you go back to Mary's story with me? The Magnificat Mary's song. First three verses are deeply personal. They're Mary's response to God showing up and doing the greatest act human history has ever seen or experienced. Emmanuel, God with us. And you can be religious or non-religious, and if this is in fact true, it's undeniably the greatest act that has ever happened to the face of the planet. It is so big that time has been divided by it through the wrong person in the wrong place. And the first three verses just give us her personal response. Do you notice what it says? I love this. My soul glorifies the Lord. In fact, that word glorify is, is just to make great. It's the, the Latin magnificant. It's to magnify. That something so amazing, so uh, captivating, so beyond what she could ever dream happened to her that she can't help, her soul can't help, but well up from the day it happened to go, God, you're great. God, you're amazing. God, you're magnificent. I have never experienced this because I counted myself out. I counted myself way out of the way and unworthy and unlovable. And you said I'm worthy and lovable. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I love that. It's personal. It's not a God distant. It's not a God against personal. My, my Savior. And there's this reality that, and, and just the human condition is one. Here, can I just say this real quick? The human condition is one in which every single person in the room, we're looking to something or someone to save us. You're like, no, 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 I'm not. Because to say Savior is like such an offensive thing. I don't need saving. But you're looking to someone, to something to save you, to satisfy, to bring hope. You're looking to someone or something to bring life. Someone or something to bring joy. Someone or something to bring peace. And you've been searching for it to save you, to satisfy you. It is merely the human condition because we long and know internally we need saving. And we use our career and think maybe that will be it. We use our marriage, our relationship, our family. We use success and credos or credits or whatever I'm trying to say. Pleasure experiences. And we put our hope and our trust and our longing, and, there's, and many of them, they're good things, aren't they? They just don't satisfy. They just don't sustain. They just don't bring fulfillment. They can't, here's the reason, they can't save. 
And in this moment, this earth-shattering moment, Mary realized, my soul magnifies my God, my, my Savior. I desperately need a Savior. I desperately need saving. I love the next line. You see it? You see what it says? What Mary says? For he has been mindful of the humble state of a servant. Mary was not unaware that she was the wrong person in the wrong place. She was fully aware and realized it was in her position, in her state, in her brokenness, in her, that God's favor poured in. His grace, his undeserved love and affection straight towards her. See, see, the process to experiencing this is one, just finally going, God, help. I realize I'm searching for things to satisfy and fulfill me and bring salvation in, and I need a Savior, and I acknowledge I'm broken. I acknowledge I'm the wrong person. I'm not going to try to good my way because this is what we do. When we finally figure out we're the wrong person, we try to good our way to God. We try to fix ourselves, don't we? We try to make, hey, how can I work my way and figure out how to get to God and fix myself. And we work really hard and we live under an immense amount of guilt and an immense amount of shame and, and then we just start faking it. Listen, listen, listen. You can't good your way to God. You can't fix the problem. No, 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 not in America. We can fix anything. Right, right, come on, come on, come on. No, 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 come on. You don't know, I'll try extra hard. Let Let me give you a quick illustration. I've used it before if you've been around. I have three kids, uh, Ella, who's 11, Ryder, who's 6, and Miles, who's 3. And Ella's a sweetheart princess of a girl, and then I have two boys. And they are crazy. I mean, just this morning, Ella, and this is just so precious, right? Ella gets up this morning, 9, she comes out, she has her pink Bible, and I'm, uh, I'm like writing and studying, and, and she comes out into the living room early, and she's like, Dad, where, where's the Christmas story? And so she, I flip to it, and I show her how to find it on her own. She's sitting on the couch under covers reading the Christmas story. And I'm like, oh my, how cool is that, you know? I'm like, this is awesome, you know? And then my boys wake up, you know? And they show up, and it's not like, hey, this is cool, Dad. Um, They just start fighting right there on the couch, wrestling, yelling at each other, and Ella's getting all frustrated. And I'm like, okay, that's just boys, right? My son, Ryder, uh, this would not be, let me just, uh, a hypothetical situation. Suppose he's in the front yard riding his bike as he does, and he's going fast, not paying attention as he does, uh, and all of a sudden he looks up and he sees my car right in the way, and he slams right into my car. Okay, I mean, just handlebar into the corner, big dent, scratches it all the way down. I mean, it just looks bad, and I mean, he gets a little bruised up, but he's okay, and he comes in, and he's like, Dad, 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 I'm sorry, I ran into the car, I really dented it up, and I go out and look, and I go, wow, you, how'd you, you're that big? How do you do that? That's unbelievable. And, and, and I go, okay, well, what are we going to do? And he's like, Dad, I got an idea. Dad, I'm going to fix it. I, I'm going to fix the car. 
I said, okay, son, how are you going to do that? You know what? For the next six months, I'm going to clean my room. <laughs> okay. But how are you going to fix the car? No, no, no. For the next six months, I'm going to clean my room every day. Even more than that, I'll take out the garbage. I'll set the table. Whatever you want, I'll do it. That's great, son. And are those good things? Oh, yeah. Those are really good things. Problem is, at six years of age, there's nothing Ryder can do to fix the car. All those things are really, really good, aren't they? They just don't fix the problem. See, what I have to do as his dad, I have to drive it down to the auto body shop, don't I? And I have to get the estimate and go, oh boy, you know, and then I have to write a check and pay for the car to be fixed. It's not hard It's impossible for Ryder to fix the car. And by the way, that is where you and I stand before a holy God. And we try hard and try to do good things. And are they good? Absolutely they're good. They just don't fix the problem They don't fix the reality that you and I have brokenness and messiness and we've sinned. That's literally just brokenness and messiness, things that have broken our relationship and separated us from God. And as a result of that, we can't fix the problem on our own. Nothing we can do, no matter how good we are, it just doesn't fix the problem. It's impossible. And so, and so Mary's song then can become our song. She says, God, my Savior, I need saving. I'm broken. I can't save it. And then I love the next line. What she says, for the mighty one has done great things for me. See, the hope of Christmas is that God did for you and I what we could not do on our own. I I love it. I say it this way at times. God gave you and me his very best when we were at our very worst. See, Christmas reveals that the Mighty One, the God of the universe, has done great things for you, that He sent His Son to die for you and I to pay the price you and I could not pay, that we might have life, that we might experience a relationship with the God of the universe. That is Christmas. And he says it with an exclamation mark, I've come for all the wrong, quote, people. You don't have to work your way. You don't have to get right. You don't have to try to fix yourself. You don't have any of those things. He says, I love you right where you're at, Would you simply respond to my love? That's it. 
It's all God's saying to you. Think about this. I mean, the God of the universe, he knows your name. The God of the universe knows where you've been and what you've done. He's not surprised by anything. The God of the universe, in light of all of that, says, I love you. I think you're so worth it. I'd send my son for you. That's Christmas. I mean, that's it. Christmas reveals the song, the story that for you and me, the God of the universe has done great things and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. You notice that God named his son, right? You saw that? He said, and you'll name him. The angel said Jesus. And in the Hebrew, it's Yeshua or Joshua. It means Yahweh saves. It says, for he will save. Matthew, the gospel of Matthew explains why. He says, for he will save his people from their sins. That God came in human form, humbled himself, death on a cross, paying the penalty that you and I could not pay, rose again to new life that we might have life with him now and forevermore, that we'd stop running after things that won't ever truly satisfy and put in our hope in things that end up leaving us in despair and he came that we might have life and life to the full and the offers extended to you tonight if you would put your hope and your trust in Jesus you would say God I long to have a relationship with you right where I'm at not fixing everything up he says I'm ready Because I said with an exclamation point, no matter where you've been, what you've done, I have come for you. And even though you may not even like you in this moment, I love you. So, as we close tonight, I just want to speak real kind of candidly to those in this room that have never stepped into a relationship with the God of the universe. And I would invite you and I would plead with you, would you, would you consider Jesus? Would you consider stop chasing after all the things you're chasing after and looking for something else to satisfy or fulfill you? And would you consider Jesus? Would you consider entrusting your life to him? Would you consider inviting him to be Lord of your life that you might experience life, that you might be able to declare with Mary, the mighty one has done great things for me and this Christmas season is radically different because you have the hope and life and joy. You experience the Prince of Peace, the Mighty King, the Wonderful Counselor in person this Christmas. Would you consider Jesus? And so I'm just going to take a moment and the band's going to pray. Sorry. The band's not going to pray. The band's going to come up and I'm going to pray. I got lost there. I'm going to take a moment and pray, and the band's going to come up. There we go. And I invite you, if you do not know, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, would you just pray this prayer after me? It's nothing really magical. It's just an honest conversation of your heart to the God of the universe. But would you just guys just pray with me? And just, just close your eyes and pray with me. And if you've never received Jesus as your Savior, would you do so now? I'd invite you to do it. And just pray this after me. Dear Jesus, in your heart, 
God, I desperately long to experience life and have a relationship with you. I never understood that you love me where I'm at. And I long for you to come into my life and bring new life. Jesus, I give you all that I am. Would you take me and make me new? I put my hope and my trust in you, Jesus, to do what I cannot do, to pay what I cannot pay. And I don't get it all, and I don't understand it all, but tonight... I'm inviting you to come into my life forever. I desperately need you. Jesus, will you be my Savior? In his name, amen.